Thank you guys so much. Joe, I'm just going to miss you guys. Like, I, I'm, I'm happy to release you, but I'm also going to um, deeply miss you. Okay, um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to the book of Second Thessalonians, um, in case you haven't been there in a while. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you, and this morning's passage can be found on page 989 and 990. Um, I am. I am super excited about this morning, about all that it represents, months and months of planning and prayers and preparation and sacrifice as we're going to commission the Haiti mission team, and we're going to begin a new series as well on becoming everyday missionaries, where we're seeking to be equipped to reach both um, just our city here locally and also the nations. Um, The only thing that has ever changed the world has been a group of individuals that are ordinary, like you and I, that have an extraordinary God and an extraordinary vision that he allows us to participate in. Um, It's been said that you can never go home again. And I don't think for a while I really understood what that meant. Um, But I grew up about three hours south of here, In Hot Springs, Arkansas, I joined the Navy when I was 18, Uh, and for a long time, I mean, I just had like quick overnight trips just for holidays, Uh, but as we've kind of relocated back to northeast Arkansas and traveling back to see my family, uh, we've had the joy of just beginning to see my city uh, through new eyes a little bit, and so I I never did many of the tourist kind of things because that was my hometown, but uh, actually Hot Springs is a a beautiful place with lots of fun activities to do, and so we've had the privilege of doing that, Um, but just going back also, I think, as a pastor and as one that maybe has studied a little bit. It's, I've begun to see maybe the, the church landscape a little bit differently. And so I want to tell you a little story. Um, I wasn't a Christian, you know, when I, I grew up. Uh, and probably my experience with church was probably a big part of that. Uh, I went to a, a lot of Pentecostal type churches, which some of them were very healthy and growing and vibrant, and some of them were just off the wall and crazy. And so it was the off the wall and crazy ones, I think, that gave me pause. Um, but my mom was very dialed in, I think, as a, as a Christian. She was, she's just a lady that loves Jesus, and she would go anywhere and everywhere that people were gathered in the name of Jesus. And she kind of had a pulse on what was going on in the Christian community. And so um, I'm going to guess I'm probably... 13 years old, I'm driving. I'm not driving. She's driving at that point. Um, she's driving me to school, and she, there's this church that's kind of on the way to my school, and it's kind of just off in the corner. And, you know, I, I asked her one day, it's like, what's, what's going on with that church? And we began to just talk about it a little bit. So you fast forward maybe a, a couple of months on down the line, um, I just kind of hear her in casual conversation talking to a friend on the phone that that church um, thought that Jesus was going to come back on Saturday. And so, um, you know, as a a 13-year-old, I was streetwise enough to know that that probably wasn't going to happen, Um, but I was a little bit nervous that that actually might take place. And so in my 13-year-old mind, all I could say is, okay, 
these people are kind of just, they're gathered there at the building just waiting for Jesus to return. They've probably got out lawn chairs and suntan oil, and they are just waiting, you know, for the return of Jesus. And then, um, well, obviously, this was when I was 13, so I I don't think that actually happened. And (laughs) I guess they read, I I think at this time there there was a couple of books going around. Uh, 1988, there were 88 reasons that Jesus will return in 1988. Um, And then when that didn't happen, there was a follow-up volume called 89 Reasons Why Jesus Would Return in 1989. Um, And then they just gave up. Um, (laughs) So, um, but these folks were absolutely sincere. I, I, I don't say that, you know, obviously it's a little bit humorous, but what was going on in their hearts um, was the same thing that's going on in the book of Second Thessalonians. And it's honestly the same thing that can take place in our hearts as well. Um, it's a misunderstanding of hope, right? I mean, they were certain of Christ's promise to save people and to return to earth. And so their natural inclination was to kind of kick back and wait for that to happen, right? Um, And that can be our instinct as well, because we've received this good news, because we've received forgiveness, because community is a gift and it's sweet. We can think, because we have this sure and certain hope, that that just means that we just need to be here and we need to gather in our holy huddles uh, and just camp out and wait for Jesus to return. But honestly, like as we are going to look at the book of Second Thessalonians this morning, a well-functioning hope actually leads to missionary zeal and missionary activity. Like if we really understand all the promises that we have in salvation, if we have all these hopes that of Jesus' return, it actually produces a level of anticipation and activity in our Lives. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to read several verses from the end of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and the beginning of Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Uh, so if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me? We're going to read chapter 2, verse 13, down to 3, verse 5. But we ought to always, but we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us either by our spoken word or by our letter." Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. 
And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do all, do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, so much now we want to encounter you through your word. Thank you that we're not grasping for straws about what you're like or what you are most passionate about. Thank you that you have clearly revealed that through your word. Thank you that you are eager to reveal your heart and your passion and your desire to us so that your word lives in us and through us. I pray that you would capture our heart afresh with the good news of the gospel, that we would be anchored in the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. I pray in particular that you would equip through this message both our gospel communities and our mission team leaving today, that they would be shot full of gospel confidence in what you want to do through them. To do that, we need you to send your spirit. I need your help to proclaim this word to these people that I love. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't been in the book of Second Thessalonians in a while, that's okay. Um, this is Paul's second letter um, to a church in uh, Thessalonica. Um, if you are not familiar with their story, they were a group of people that pioneered the fear of missing out, right? I mean, so First uh, Thessalonians is a book where um, they were afraid that the people that had actually died that they were going to miss out on the benefits of the second coming of Jesus. So Paul wrote them the book of 1 Thessalonians to encourage them to say, listen, really those people that have died in faith in Jesus, they're the ones that are going to be um, leading the victory parade when he comes back. That's basically the message of 1 Thessalonians. And the message of 2 Thessalonians, there's this um, group of false teachers that broke in and and Part of them are saying that Jesus has already returned, so people are quitting their jobs, just like I said in the beginning. So people are just idle and they're standing by. And then there are other people that are um, they're also breaking in, saying that um, Christ would return, and they were feared that they missed out, and so they were terrified and they were afraid and they were scared and they needed comfort. And this letter. Um, not only provides comfort to this church, but it also says, hey, I'm going to embed in you something better than just a word of comfort. I'm actually going to tell you how the return of Jesus Christ can actually motivate you to fulfill all the things that God has called you to do. Ultimately, uh, a well-functioning hope that we have does not lead to escapism, but it leads to engagement, right? So the Thessalonians, right, they were looking for a one-way ticket out of this world, right? I mean, they were looking to be launched out of this world, leave behind a pile of clothes and see what happens, right? I mean, they were waiting for their ticket to get punched, right? But what Paul is saying in the midst of all of that, 
Even though we have this grand and this glorious hope that Jesus Christ is going to come back and he's going to make everything new, it doesn't lead to escapism. It actually leads to engagement, right? Um, And listen, their temptation is absolutely our temptation because we have this good news that we have received and we love the relationships that we have the privilege to build inside this church. It's very easy to forget that there are people outside of these walls that actually need the good news of the gospel. And so this is something that's very near and dear to me. And I think it's something that God is... um, fast-tracking for us as a church, that we would be a group of people that engage the world with the good news of the gospel. Our prayer as a church is that our treasure that we have would be the treasure of our city, right? And I know for each and every person in this room, there are people that you are desperate to meet Jesus. This idea of Christ coming back to earth, this hope that we have actually begins to build a desire to see people come to know and put their trust in the Lord. So not only is Paul writing a letter to comfort them, because I mean anytime Paul speaks you're going to get part of his DNA. And, and his DNA is ultimately that of a missionary. So what we have at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 is really the DNA of a missionary movement. Because that's what we're praying that we are as a church. If we're not a movement, right? If we're just a gathering of Christians. Now, I want you to imagine this. This this should terrify us. If no one that's a Christian ever comes to this building ever again, what would happen to this church? Right? If, if there are not people that are just added from the outside because they picked up on our website, what would happen to us as a church? Ultimately, who we are as a church is to be an outward-facing missionary people. Right? The church is not primarily to encourage Christians, which it is. We are here to encounter Jesus in such a way that we are equipped to take the good news beyond these walls, to see the good news flourish inside of our city. And so we as an elder team are actively praying, God, would you make us a missionary people? Would you break us out of our comfort zone? Now listen, I love community as much as anyone. I am passionate about pastoral care. I am passionate about people working through their stories and their brokenness and encountering Jesus. But listen, like if nobody's actually meeting Jesus through this church, what are we doing? Right? So, what the book of 2 Thessalonians is encouraging us to do is to stand firm in the midst of a world that is uncertain, in the midst of a world that has questions, and to be a group of people that have a hope that what God has done for us and in us, He wants to do through us to the world. That's the essence of the church, that the good news that we have received would come from here and it would sound forth as a trumpet. Now, um, I'm sure you've probably seen the the commercial. Uh, I'm a big Ancestry.com fan. I I spent Christmas Eve like working through my family tree, but now like they have a shortcut right? So if if that's too much work for you, you can just kind of like take a swab and you can get your DNA and you can send it off, right? And they'll come back and say, hey, look, you came from Scotland or you have some ancestors in Africa or all, you know, and, and that's amazing. But listen, if there is to be the DNA of any 
local church on the planet, if you traced it back, it would trace its power and its origin to mission. The church, this church, exists because people broke out of their comfort zone and planted this church so that people meet Jesus. We are personally benefiting right now from the labors of other people. So what God has done for other people, what God has done for us through other people, he actually wants to do for the world. It is our passion that people actually meet Jesus. And that's why it's essential that we engage in this mission. That's why it's essential that we pray for this um, Haiti mission team today. That's why it's essential that this outreach team is not just another activity on our schedule, but becomes part of who we are, right? Because the advance of the gospel is beautiful and it is worth it. Listen, this is what we believe about the sovereignty of God. God is going to save his people, right? But I want to have the joy and the privilege and the honor of seeing him answer that and to see him actually move people from death to life. God is a God who is going to finish the mission. God is a God that's going to gather people from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation around his throne. But I want to see him do it. I want to have a front row seat as he saves people. So what we're asking God is to help us through this series to be everyday ordinary missionaries. That he would use where we work to be a reflection of the good news of the gospel. That he would use how we play, and oftentimes that's going to be with one another, that it would be open to outsiders. That there would be gatherings of Christians that have this steadfast love of Jesus Christ that unites them together and that it would ultimately be attractive so that people meet Jesus. So we're praying that that would happen. Pray that that would happen inside of our neighborhood. We're praying that God would equip us through our conversations. So what we're going to see for the rest of our time together is three primary ways These are the DNA, these are non-negotiables to becoming a missionary people. This is the foundation. Look at verses 13 through 17. But we ought to always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now, may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So I want you to pick up on those last lines. Every good work and word. That's what we're asking God to do. To prepare our hearts for every good work and word. And so to do that, we have to stand firm in our calling. We have to stand firm in our calling. This was a world that was filled with uncertainty. And 
and actually uncertainty and questions and doubt is fertile ground for the good news of the gospel. All you have to do is, if you were around at that time, is to think back at the church's experience through 9-11. I mean, the church that I was a part of in a single week like went from about 600 people to about 1,000 people because the world was filled with uncertainty and people were looking for answers. It's the same thing that's going on in um, the, the church uh, at Thessalonica, and it's the same thing that takes place in our world when there's uncertainty, when there's political instability, where there's infighting, where there's all of these things that are clashing. Those aren't things that we're supposed to escape from as the people of God. They're things that we're called to engage in with the hope and the good news of the gospel. So we want to stand firm in our calling. And standing firm has two components. First, it means we actually have to remember our calling. It says that God chose you. Right? I mean, that is a foundational truth for us as the people of God. That we weren't the ones that were going looking for Him. He's the one that came looking for us. That He chose us to be saved as the first fruits. I mean, and I love this. Pick up on the, on the, the Trinity here. Right? This is the passion of all of God. God, which is God the Father, chose you as the first fruits to be saved. Through the sanctification, that just means being set apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So it's the Spirit that gives birth to faith. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it's the passion of the Father, it is the passion of the Son, and it is the passion of the Holy Spirit that people are moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Like if there's one thing that God is about, it's about saving sinners like you and me. That's the good news. That's the foundation. So standing firm means remembering your calling, and it also means being established in every good word and work. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. And here's... My favorite phrase, and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So how are we going to be established in every good word and work? It's through the eternal comfort that we have received from good hope through grace. Our gospel story, our gospel experience is the fuel of missionary activity. It is impossible for very long to give away what we do not possess. And listen, we have good hope. We have a God that chose us before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless and spotless before him. And then he sent the Spirit to open our eyes where we were blind and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then he made us alive and gave us the gift of faith so that we could believe. That is an amazing truth that God came looking for us. As we are more aware of that, and and we remember that, 
It's not just bringing it to mind. It's remembering in such a way that we rejoice in it. And that's why worship is so important to us as a church. It's one of our foundational um, it's one of our foundational DNA beliefs that, that worship is the fuel of missionary activity. Like we have to believe this in such a way that it affects our hearts. So our experience of hope and grace is the fuel to see other people experience this kind of hope and this kind of grace. It's not a throwaway phrase to say grace changes everything. right? If we're going to be a group of people that reach other people, grace must become a functional reality for us. Now, it's easy for us to believe the lie that we're not good enough to share our faith. Maybe we're not gifted enough. Maybe we don't have all the right answers. And we can talk ourselves out of being witnesses for Jesus Christ. Think that people might be hostile. But the truth is, most people don't have too much good news in their life. Like most people are open to hearing about the good news of Jesus. Now, God is not calling us to win an intellectual argument. Um, and if you are arguing with people, um, I would encourage you to stop. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're here to do. People People may or may not agree with the truth of who Jesus is and the implications for our lives, but they cannot argue, especially in this postmodern world, with your own story. So that's why it's vital that we actually experience grace. Now, I adopted this from Louis Giglio. I cannot improve upon it, but he talks about how to share your story in a way that's winsome. So he did something like this, and I'll make it my own. I love barbecue. I love all kinds of barbecue. I love Texas barbecue. I love Kansas City barbecue. I love North Carolina barbecue with vinegar-based sauce on the top. Maybe put some coleslaw on it. I love ribs that have been slow-baked over... (laughs) a grill and a spit for 12 hours and then maybe lightly dusted with some sauce. I love the contrast of barbecue beans, a little bit of sweet, a little bit of heat. I love Texas toast to kind of bring it all together. Potato salad, right? Now listen, nobody can argue with the fact that I love barbecue. Sadly, you may be a vegan, right? (laughs) But listen, listen. I weep because you're a vegan. But I love barbecue, right? You have a unique story. You have a unique testimony where God has reached down into your story and it is a gift from Him, right? A story that you don't have to be ashamed of. A story that won't change whether somebody that works with you or somebody that you encounter at the pool this summer disagrees. All you have to say is, this is what God has done for me in and through Jesus. That is our good hope through grace. 
don't have to win an intellectual argument, but we do have to share our experience of grace. Now, as we do that, that begins to, um, it begins to build a culture, right? And, and this is the saddest thing about being a citizen of this city, is that it is a foreign experience to talk about Jesus in a meaningful way, right? Because everybody knows Jesus, he's assumed, right? So it's just, we just talk about him in real abstract terms instead of, no, he's changed everything for me. So to begin to change the atmosphere inside of us, we have to become a group of people that want to talk about good hope and grace. Which brings me to my next point. Praying for a rapid growth of gospel advancement. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. And that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now, prayer is often the missing link between missionary theory and just talking about being a missionary and missionary practice, right? So Paul is saying, I want you to pray for me that the word of the Lord would speed ahead and bear fruit just like it did among you. It wasn't enough for him just to reorient their eyes to the hope that they had. He wanted them to join him in his mission and seeing other people come to know Jesus. And that's, that's what happens as we begin to set our minds and our hearts. Because, listen, and this is going to be revolutionary. We pray because God invites us to pray. We pray because God promises to answer prayer. We pray Because prayer changes us, right? As much as it changes the situations that we are involved in. It is impossible to pray in faith. And I was reading a book by Tim Keller, and he he said it like this. Prayer is making faith vocal. Like it's giving voice to faith. And so um, when we begin to pray and we begin to ask God to do things among us, it begins to become the things that we are. think about and the things that we care about. Now, I, I thought about the nation of Nepal, and this is going to be your experience, the team that's going to Haiti. I thought about the, the nation of Nepal several months before I went, and I imagined what it might be like. But once I was on the ground and I began to see people's faces and I began to interact with them, um, since then, I mean, pastors from there have reached out and like we're friends on Facebook and I know when they're having their services I pray for them and I want to pray for them my heart's engaged there so it's the same thing for us as a church as you begin to pray about your workplace 
How can I be a missionary? You know what you're going to think about when you go to work the next day? How can I be a missionary in my workplace? Like, that's what you're going to think about. You're going to begin to see the world different. If you pray that that God would be made known in your neighborhood, you're going to see your neighbors in a different way. Prayer begins to change our hearts and what we actually care about. So we want to become a group of people that pray. Now, we can have mental gymnastics about all the reasons that we don't think that prayer is necessary necessary. But listen, prayer is vital for us as the people of God to become who he has called us to be. Now, I am super grateful for prayers that sustain us, for prayers that heal us. But we also need prayers that enliven us and embolden us to ask for big things, that we actually ask things that are in accordance with God's character, that we actually ask things that are in line with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, that we actually ask things that are in line with him triumphing over sin, death, and the grave, right? So we want to be a group of people, and this is one of those prayers. I love how it says this. Finally, brothers, pray for us, That the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So our prayer as the people of God is that the word of the Lord would speed ahead in the city of Jonesboro. Right? From the heart of Ridgepoint, where I am a member, and we go to the pool from there... Right? We want to see that go all the way to downtown into Huntington where we're serving as groups. We want to see the gospel flourish there. We want to see it speed ahead. Not only do we want God to, to do a long-term work in this city, we also want to see him do something dynamic and something lasting that the word would speed ahead and bear fruit. We want to see the gospel bear fruit in, um, from Red Wolf Boulevard all the way down to Truman. Right? I mean, I know that... <laughs> Places that we tend to forget, God does not forget, right? That are precious to him. We see the gospel bear fruit there. We want to see the gospel come from this church to the nation of Haiti. We're going to pray for this team in a few moments. We're actually asking that the word of the Lord would speed ahead. And, And what we're asking when we say that is, Lord, would you cause a flurry of missionary activity and zeal to flow up in our lives and through our lives, right? So we're praying that God would, through this team, right? This isn't just, um, this isn't uh, a vacation for Christians. This is the reason that, I'm going to let you in on the, the backstory. This is why we're going to the nation of Haiti. We as a church have a passion for orphan care. So we want to be involved in a nation where we can directly affect orphan care. Also, we are passionate about churches that plant churches. And so we're looking for open doors where we can plant churches in the nation of Haiti. So this isn't, so we're praying that obviously that people meet Jesus through this trip, but we're praying that long-term, because we're in this for the long haul, that long-term relationships would be formed so that generations from now that nation is different. That's what we're praying. So I want to, um, Go ahead and invite the Haiti mission team to come on up. We are going to pray for you. Um, So grateful for you all. It's a special moment. Um, 
I'm get, when we actually get to pray, if you want to get up out of your seats, if these are folks from your gospel community, and we'll come down and pray for them, uh, I think that would totally be appropriate. Um, I want to give you a, a little bit of a charge and a commission. Um, picked out this passage in particular for you all as well. Um, I don't know how we can thank God enough for the sacrifices that you have made and you will make over the next uh, week to 10 days. And just thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the sacrifices. Thank you for your faith to go. Um, And I mean this, this team is extraordinary in a host of ways. But I mean, these are our friends. These are our peers. I mean, all the way from this end of the stage down to that end. Every day, ordinary missionaries praying that God would use their lives, their gifts, their talent, their resources to see the gospel go forward um, in another nation. And I'm so grateful that you would do that. This is us. This is fellowship. It's such a privilege to be able to um, commend you for this work, commission you for this work. So I want to just read these verses to you, and I hope they have special significance to you. Pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. I know you guys know this, that you are walking into a spiritually dark place where evil is not just an intellectual category, but where it's tangible and palpable. But God says he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Although evil is real, the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than any evil that you will face. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing the, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's my prayer for you: that God would direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And so. It, um, I would like to invite several of you to come down and just lay hands. I want everybody to be uh, prayed for. So if you are comfortable, would you come down? Let's pray for this team. Let's commission them. Um, if you don't get out of your seats, just extend your hands through that. Um, if you're not a praying person, just respect that prayer is going on in this room. And we're going to um, just uh, lift this team up to the Lord. And um, Thank you so much. Father, now, as a church, we mark this moment with faith and with joy. We pray that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would order their footsteps, that you would commission them in the love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ, that you would allow fruit to be born to their account, that you would bless the sacrifices. I pray that they would have a new vision for their lives as you have um, called them and commissioned them. I pray that people would be moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved Son. I pray that you give them confidence in the face of 
the evil one, that they are um, ambassadors of you, and that you yourself are guarding and directing their steps. I pray that you would guard their hearts and that you would allow them to know our prayers. I pray that you would uh, allow us as a church the privilege of continuing to pray for them. I pray that you would equip them. I pray for their... um, Every interaction that they have, every word that they speak that would be led and be guided by you, I pray that you would direct them, the team, to people that they can make a difference for, not only in this trip, but for generations to come. That is our prayer. We simply ask that the word of the Lord would speed ahead through everyday, ordinary individuals like this, that the gospel would go forward to the nation of Haiti, and we trust you to work and to do more than we can ask or imagine, or even think. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We love you guys. So proud of you. So proud of you. So good. Excellent. Thank you. Now I'm going to conclude with just one song. Uh, I'm going to invite Aaron and the team to come on up. Uh, what, a, what a privilege it is to be a church of people that are passionate about reaching both.